All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness and Philosophy Podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined, as always, by OPEX founder, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm sporting my uh, Gretzky uh, hockey school hoodie. I'm proud I'm, I'm wearing the gear. I just got the, the gift from the great one himself uh, via John Callahan yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, he's in, uh, I think he's in Gosford this summer. If he's not, then anyways, we'll say he was. Um, and I've been been a fan for many, many years. And so I'm pretty excited to wear the, to wear the gear. What episode number is this, Robbie? Well, we did all our tens last week. So this is all right. Uh, Mark Messier was number 11. Uh, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest hockey players, not as good as Wayne Gretzky, but, um, had a major impact in the NHL and the story of what he did in New York was unbelievable. And his background in, uh, in the Oilers. What do you think about with 11? Uh, it's not a great one, but we're coming up on 9-11. Um, yeah. Hey, that's a reality. And uh, yeah. no, it's a reality. Maybe a moment for a pause and reflection on uh, one of those things that we were unfortunately a part of uh, the, the uh, unfortunately a part of, you know, this thing that it's stamped, like we weren't around for, uh, Hiroshima as an example, you know? Um, but this is something that I think it's, uh, it's like embedded in our bones and, uh, it's part, it's part of our, it's part of our existence, you know, unfortunately, but it is, it is a big thing. Um, yeah, thanks for that one, Robbie. That's a somber uh, reminder of 11. Um, I think of also, uh, the mathematical stuff around, uh, 11. Uh, isn't there some cool mathematical things around 11, uh, What's, what kind of a digit is it where it's not divisible? It's only divisible by itself and one. Prime. Prime, yeah. Another, another prime cool prime list. number. Yeah. All right. What else? That's a good question. Um, what happened when you were 11 years old? The, the 11th month this year is going to be a pretty interesting month. Mm. Just talking about that. Boucher, good one. You're bringing the, yeah. you're bringing the good stuff today. I, I appreciate that. Yep, we're going to have a crisscross of a number of uh, fascinating things in the 11th month this year. Yeah. I was thinking the two ones, too. It's, it's kind of it's neat, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool number. All right, episode 11. Intention yeah. V2. Yep. So uh, if you guys have been listening to any of the previous episodes you know that typically we do episodes and we, we have been doing episodes in couplet in couplets but we've never meant that to be dogmatic or the only way we do things and you know james mentioned last time that uh hey we still have a bit more to talk about intention so yeah why not finish up on intention yeah. so still plenty to say there um by the way there's someone installing uh ac in our gym right now so if you hear a gigantic clacking oh yeah uh, yeah, that's what that is. All right. I still hear you pretty clear. Okay. Although I, uh, um, right, give me a second. I did, we're, we're still live, but this is cool. We get, this is real life. I got to, I got to quiet the noise here. Give me a second. Okay. Yeah, they're doing some stuff around the, the area here too. So, um, I'll quiet mine just to make sure your banging is, uh, sounds worse. We're doing a <laughs> We're doing a lot. 
So uh, we figured today we might talk about um, intentions with relation to nutrition, maybe functional health. Obviously, James and I are both involved in that space. Uh, intentions of the fitness collective. And this one will be a bit more free-flowing than others, just trying to you know, talk about intention in all these different realms. Um, so just to get us started, I'm gonna do a brief review of what we talked about uh, last time, just to uh, make sure we're kind of all on the same page. Mm -hmm. So the initial couplet we had had was desire and intention. So we talked about desires, then we talked about intention. And one of the things that desires and intentions have in common is that they're things that seem to only be present in beings with um, a brain or mind or some sort of neurological apparatus. And we talked about how intentions seem to be things that only humans can have, whereas desires are things that animals or insects or other beings can have. Intentions are things that only humans can have. And one of the things we mentioned last time is the, um, the differences between intention and desire. So for example, we were saying that desires tend to be primarily emotional while intentions tend to be more rational. Um, desires aren't on our voluntary control while intentions are. Desires are more intuitive. We can't always articulate them, whereas intentions are conceptual. Desires are fleeting, intentions are longer lasting. Um, with desires, there's not necessarily a commitment to act as a result of it, because again, we would all be messed up as a society if every desire we had um, was acted upon immediately. Whereas intentions, if you have that intention, generally speaking, that uh, indicates some sort of desire. So that's, that's a brief overview on the desire versus intention thing. And then in terms of our uh, fitness discussion, we talked about what types of intentions do we have in fitness? We talked about what types of intentions should we have, and we talked about how that's actually a question you can ask with intentions that you cannot ask with desires because it makes no sense to say what desires you should or should not have since they're not in your control. Um, and then we, uh, you know, we talked a bit, James, about uh, you know the notion of do it because you can, do it because mm -hmm. it's for you. Mm -hmm. Those intentions within fitness self-determination theory. Uh, we talked a bit about intention with relation to the coach, but I figured we could talk a bit more about that today. And um, we started to get to, but I don't think really delved into the uh, dose response equation mm. and its relation to intention. So that would be maybe cool to, to talk about. So yeah, yeah. just um, some recap from last time. Any thoughts there? Yeah, for sure. Just to, just to uh, maybe for those listening in who are coaches uh, to see how you uh, uh, intentionally uh, went about creating contrast uh, of desires and, and intentions. Um, let's take the meaning of both of them out of the picture and just say, um, hopefully coaches can see that as a really nice way to kind of figure out where things sit in a lane for explanation and understanding. Um, so I just wanted to make mention that I really enjoyed that. Um, and I do look forward to maybe, I forgot that we were, we would discuss that a little bit more today in terms of, uh, yeah, uh, looking at intentions through the lens of someone else, like not not the not everyone who participates in fitness and the, the, those actual intentions, but how about the coach's intentions? The coach's intentions around the vocation, the coach's intentions around the relationship, et cetera. So maybe we can touch upon a couple of those things and see if there's some parallel, um, you know, parallel uh, things that are inside of both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... I mean, if you want to, I'm, I'm fine to start off there. You wanted to talk about coaches' intentions and kind of what their 
their intentions should be or uh, yeah. somewhere else you want to start? Yeah, no, uh, coaching intention. Um, you know, I think, uh, to just continue to discuss that point, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly interesting time, you know, in 2020 and the general classification of the fitness coach, you know, it's, a uh, um, how that position is delivered and who they are and are they easy to spot and, and what's their actual like, um, list of things that they do in a day. Like it's, it's, it's pretty broad. It's quite broad. Um, and how it's delivered and what the service looks like. And if, if do, am I making sense? Like, it's really tough to like picture the, picture that thing, you know? Um, and I think we need to start there because, you know, it's a reality that, uh, it used to be, you know, fairly simple, fairly simple. I wouldn't say it was easy, but fairly simple. I'll just use, you know, history again in 1993 to say, what is the, what is the intention of a personal trainer? You know, what's the intention of a personal trainer? And, uh, and there wasn't, there wasn't, you know, 18 other versions of that actual personal trainer. It was just, that was your job. So what was the intention? Um, it was probably to teach people about movement, you know, and to help them per hour and per minute by minute that you're with them, um, to do some physical expression and to assist them in that. Right. So what was the intention? The intention was probably a helper, um, a director, a leader, a collaborator, a friend, you know, and, and multiple different versions of that particular thing. And now we're in 2020. And I just wanted to start by saying that it's, it's really weird to even start with the concept of, um, you know, what are the intentions of a coach? And I think what we have to end up, you know, maybe moving it, Robbie, is what should the intentions of a coach be? Yeah. And, and just kind of jamming yeah. on that. Um, I proposed um, that uh, at, at the base level, I propose that a coach should have certain kinds of attributes and there should be this um, agreement on um, this theoretical model of what, what an oath would be that, that should be applied inside the, the vocation. Um, and so I talk about those in CCP. Some of them are just uh, um, attributes of attentiveness, um, empathetic, trustworthy, um, uh, what were the other ones? Attentiveness. Um, wait a second, I got them right here. Attentive, aware, authentic, vulnerable, trustworthy, and empathetic. So these should be attributes that a coach should have. So based inside, could there be more? There could be more, but that's where you start as a base support. Um, secondly, we can then say, well, what's exactly going to be the uh, the way that you lay these things out, um, and should there be some form of an oath that coaches should apply when they're actually, you know, doing their job? Um, and I, I start with just a couple of small ones. Um, you're, you're not going to do no harm. You're going to do a little bit of harm. And so that speaks of the uh, asking people to challenge themselves physically so that they can create some growth. So you just do a tiny bit of harm, but it's a controlled version of harm. Um, another one would be, um, you know, perceive that there's good in everyone and that's backroom talk, but that, that, you know, you want to have that coming in based upon the relationship that you're going to get into um, that you want to make sure that you have this really nice mindset in place to have a really open space for it. So to, to back up and I'll stop there. What, what is the starting point I think for a coach's intentions today for 2020 um, to get an agreement upon these attributes that we all want to have. And then secondarily, use some of these oaths of, you know, 
uh, doing a tiny bit of harm and uh, thinking that everyone has good in them. And then you can build a list of three, four, five, six, but an agreed upon oath of, of what's inside of it for, for why you're doing your job. Um, and, the, and then we may be able to then tie that in, Robbie, uh, based upon what your thoughts are just as a starting point on that to, you know, what, what, the, what the clients, you know, and their intentions were that we came up with from last time, which is uh, mainly look good naked, decrease pain, increase energy. Um, right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, a few things come to mind when I think about intention in relation to the coach. Um, you know, like you said, especially in 2020, um, there can be misaligned intentions mm-hmm. uh, surrounding, you know, what the coaching profession is. And I, I, I kind of think back to Kant and what we talked about last time. So just a brief recap, you know, Kant thinks for an action to be truly moral, it needs to be done for the right reason and only for the right reason. Something, you know, can come to benefit you as a result. Say you return a wallet and you get a police reward. Cool. There's no ethical problem there, but if you return it for the police reward and you wouldn't have done it without, there's an issue there. So using that model, I I think of that a lot when it comes to fitness coaching, where there's a whole bunch of, you know, people where it's, um, obviously not everyone who does it as a side hustle is in it just for the money, Mm -hmm. but there's a whole slew of, uh, folks out there where the intention is, you know, I'm going to help people get their wad on and, you know, going to tell them what they want to hear and for the purposes of making more money. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with making money and a living and being a professional, but thinking back to those values that you were listing of like what the coach should have about, you know, trustworthiness and openness. And uh, when I think about what a coach's intention should be, I think about those intrinsic values, those things that we do not for the sake of something else, not for acclaim or fame or money or, you know, 10 affiliate gyms or whatever it's going to be. It's to intrinsically help the person. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making a living or a profession from that, or you don't have to be a monk for the rest of your life and not be able to make a living. But at the same time, that, that intrinsic pursuit, that intrinsic intention of I am doing this um, thing for the right reason. I'm, per, I'm involved in this calling because I believe in it and I want to genuinely help people. And then good things flow from that rather than doing it for extrinsic motivations and the intrinsic stuff is just BS. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great insight. Um, great insight. Um, yeah. And I think the, the coach, uh, um, cause there's a lot of coaches that struggle, you know, um, because as I mentioned previous, the, the system doesn't support the vocation, uh, the market doesn't maybe maybe see what you see in principles, et cetera, but you have to go through that pain um, and uh, and be okay with going through that pain. And that's probably an indirect assessment that your intentions are correct. You know, if you're, if you're capable of like moving through it and creating change and having conversation and dialogue with people and kind of learning, which would be considered struggle, um, then that's probably an assessment that, uh, um, that you have probably the right intentions. And so that's why I, I say on CCP calls of like, if you're not here with, you know, the right intentions, then get out. Like we don't want you a part of the, the fitness landscape coaching. It's just, it creates way too much, uh, way too much tension for everyone else and kind of things that we're trying to, to push out there and educate folks on. So yeah, I think about that for the coach that's struggling and is questioning that concept of what you're bringing up of like, is this really, you know, what's, what's my why in this, you know, like when they got to sit back and ask that question, like, 
and and is my why am i okay with my why like wh why do i think why do i think my why is is the way it is and why did that come to be um i think another thing that i thought about as you were mentioning it too is this uh idea of contribute i guess it's utilitarianism i guess in a certain way but it's a there's a contribution factor um inside of the coaching profession that you want to whether you like it or not you i think you should want to do it such that it benefits it, it, it's, it's for the good for all. And, and to your point, which I like is you're not necessarily looking for anything really in return besides just the fact that there was a contribution. And besides the fact that you might feel okay, that everything is going to sum up to be better long-term, right? We define that as individual autonomy as being a, a generalized statement around what some of those goals would be. Uh, for individuals, but um, that's what I think about, as you mentioned that where the intrinsic extrinsic, you know, pulls are, um, I think it comes down to really maybe keep asking the question, like, um, what is your contribution, you know, and, and are you okay with contribution and maybe ruminate just with the definition of that. Um, you also may be able to hijack uh, uh, the, the word impact, because I talk about that one as well. And that is parallel to that conversation. Like, what is your definition of impact? And if you, if you really start to define that, to your point, Robbie, you may see that you think that impact is claim and fame, you know? And, and I think the more you spend time on that, like, what, what, what is this word of contribution? And, and is, is it really something inside my language and my beliefs? Uh, what do I define as being impactful? I think you may reverse engineer back to see the, where your motivations come from um, inside of it. Yeah, agreed. And I think the same way, you, you know, you talk about how the intention behind a workout, whether from the coach's perspective or the client's perspective, can completely alter the nature of the workout. I think um, a coach's intention can completely alter their sort of way of being in, in this in this space. And going back to what you were saying about, you know, the contribution, again, you know, just to highlight for people, sometimes when people think of Kant's moral theory, they think, oh, my God, you can't... You, nothing good can ever come. You have to hate what you're doing. And only then is it moral? You might think something similar with coaching. It's, it's not saying that you, um, uh, you know, good things can't come, but it's saying always go back to the reason why you are doing this. Were that stuff not to exist, were the fame not to exist, were the 10 affiliate gyms not to exist, were the money not to exist, would you still be doing what you are doing? And I think most of us who are involved in this kind of know that there's that internal fire that we can, turn to and reflect on and say, yeah, I, yeah. I, pro I probably would. Assuming I could make a base living, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, some sort of base living. Yes. Um, but it's asking, you know, what, what's your intention there? Is it just, is it just for those extrinsic things or is it based on the intrinsic values that you hold dear and want to see increased in the world, like autonomy um, and other things like that um, in order to, you know, make humanity better? Yeah. And that's why I, that's why I come up with, um, or at least something that coaches could wrap their hands around be like, you know, well, what are attributes I should strive towards to see if those are my intentions? Like I'd mentioned with attentiveness and, and those, um, as well as why I, I virtue signal my own, uh, teach, learn, move, create. Um, cause at least it can, it could, you know, maybe just spark some ideas in a coach of saying, if I go after these things, which I would believe to be, in my opinion, are like wholesome and 
holistic and well-rounded. And I try to go after those things uh, each day and throughout my time as a coach, you're probably going to end up with to the same, you know, same point of uh, assessing if your intentions are correct. And then really um, in the end result, you actually are contributing for good reason because you're looking to just teach people because you're good at it or you, you want to do that. And you're probably teaching them something you fell in love with around fitness. Um, you're constantly learning so you can upgrade exactly how to move more people through this entire thing. Um, you're moving to experiment like with what your tools are. Um, and then you're creating things and being vulnerable in that practice um, of trying to create things, see if, you know, is that going to work? I'm not really sure, but you're just being honest around that. That beautiful loop then of the teach, learn, move, create can, can allow you to see if your intentions are also aligned. So that's maybe another thing I would ask coaches just to maybe come up with their own, you know, uh, priorities that they can stick to as mantras. And then in the end, I think it'll uh, turn out to be not as, uh, um, as uh, what, what seemingly looks like, you know, a doldrum, um, but it's, uh, it's actually worthwhile in the end. Yeah. And I think those are things you can, if there really are intrinsic, you can constantly turn to them as sources of inspiration, even when the going gets tough or when you have these situations where it's like, if I have one more, if I have one more woman ask me if weightlifting is going to make her bulky, <laughs> you know, it's like, you or know, is coconut oil going to kill you. Right. Or should or I go, keep, should I go keto, but I'm eating fast food right now? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, like that, that type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, great way of putting that. I appreciate that. So I think we talked about this <clears throat> a little bit last time, but I don't know if we wanted to maybe delve into a little bit. I was thinking a bit more on it. Um, I think one of the greatest sources of tension that maybe a coach runs into, and I'm, I'm sure you've run into it. I, I know I have, you know, let, let's, let's assume, you know, a second ago we were talking about coaches with some good intentions and some coaches with maybe some not good intentions. Let's just assume for the sake of what we're talking about now, we're talking about coaches with good intentions. They want yeah. to genuinely help people. They're not doing it for money, fame, all the rest of this yeah. stuff, but day in, day out, just the exact same things we were saying, just this constant doldrum of, you know, should I do orange theory? Should I, you know, coconut oil is going to kill me. Why am I eating a vegetable? Can't, 21 day detox. Um, thoughts on what we should say about, um, you know, a coach's, a coach's intentions in relation to a client's desires and just being able to, I guess, stay true to yourself in the face of that constant onslaught of, of things yeah. in the current fitness market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not easy, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I would say as advice just to, uh, it's kind of like what we said earlier, if you, you know, you just gotta be patient. And as you continue to stay patient with it, um, I'm presuming with good intentions that, uh, you're willing to, uh, to take the burden on of the responsibility of like finagling with these issues that people have around what is real and what is truthful and what is, what's the right path, you know? So, um, if you get into multiple occasions where you got all these people in front of you and it's creating a huge amount of tension, well, you may want to do a couple of things. Number one, say, how in the hell are they all in front of me? What am I asking for that kind of like landed them here? But then right. secondly, get inside, get inside that and be patient and like, see if you can come up with some strategies on educating those individuals, right? Around these things that you're listening to us talk about on our podcast, or you may figure out that. Um, you do have this unbelievable gift of unconsciously attracting all these people um, in front of you because you have the opportunity during a four or four week or 12 month period of really changing behaviors and transforming people. And like 
moving them from this period of like chaos, you know, of information and not knowing what to do. And then to a point where they're like, I can answer that question on the street. This is what the client says, right? You know, Hey, you know, this is what they say to you 12 months down the road, right? They come in and they're like, man, my buddy came up to me the other day. He was like, yeah, I'm going to try this keto thing. And I immediately, I immediately went to him like, there's a time and a place for keto, you know, there's the pluses, here's the minuses, here's the unknowns. And he was like, I don't even know where that was coming from, but you know, I really believed in it. You know what I'm saying? So see that beautiful story. If you were patient enough, you know, and you, you kind of had the system in place for educating and dialogue and conversation, I think it can get to a spot where it diminishes that tension with you're speaking of. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that actually, the way you put it kind of brought up something for me that uh, I thought was really insightful. So, you know, so often as coaches, we ask our clients to be patient, you know, in the pursuit of whatever it is they're trying to achieve. But, you know, the way you put it just kind of reflected the patient's back towards us, you know, we, we assume, you know, we, we're, we're sitting there frustrated, like, oh my God, this person's talking about keto for the umpteenth time, maybe a bit more patience on our part in terms of um, sticking with our intentions. Cause I think there's this very, there's a very strong temptation, even for, even for people who have these very strong intentions in fitness to want to do the right thing. You know, you see the person down the street with all the different marketing materials and they're, you know, uh, this many Instagram followers and this much money. And there, so there's this, desire to you know be successful not not be you know constantly struggling to do things but again going back to that notion of of patience and sitting with the person and being okay with the discomfort around that situation and working through it rather than being like it has to change now so if we're asking our clients to be patient with their nutrition or fitness we should similarly be patient with you know dealing with uh issues that need to be you know uh they, they need to be educated about yeah, and it's a, there's a whole host of issues inside of that itself where clients, uh, or sorry, coaches need to sit back and just ask, why is that the case, right? Why am I not patient? Why do I really feel like this is so full of tension? You know, what are the things that I'm observing and what I see in my clients that are possibly things I may have in myself that I'm like, oh, I need to remedy, we need to figure that out. So just keep sitting back and asking those questions and you'll get to a point of realizing that um, when you do take this idea of patience in mind, like we're trying to ask clients to do with their lifestyle, it'll basically just calm things a little bit and open up this space for conversation and dialogue around how to be educated. And you won't get frustrated then where four weeks down, again, they come back and ask about coconut oil or a specific article, right? And I think it's our responsibility too for that example. I'll just use the example of the coconut oil. In four weeks, you know, you don't come back and be like, you know, really militant on it. Where it's like, don't ask me that again. Like we already went over this. Instead, you have to be, you have to take the responsibility of, of starting to move it over to their place and uh, over to them and say, um, let's, let's review what we had previously discussed. And um, I want you to voice out with me, what are the positives of coconut oil at its highest level? Right. And and then uh, you're starting to recognize, they start to recognize then that you are asking for them to be responsible to figure out this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, and then it doesn't come back to the coach of like, oh, please tell me if I'm right or wrong. And now we can figure out how to go from here. They're instead saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm learning about this, but I just want to bounce some things off you. And I appreciate you putting it back in my court to kind of figure out 
how to how to come up with you know the the deepest answer to this. So I think you know we you know we're we're generally we need to ask that question uh, ourselves, Robbie, because um, I ask it all the time about the whole context of high intensity the high intensity model, right? Uh, what's the hurry? Right. You know what's the hurry? <laughs> and we need to ask that too. Is uh, and if you're like well. Uh, we don't have time. Well, that's, that's not the client's fault. That's the system's fault. You know what I'm saying? So if you don't have time to have a discussion with people or you're like, you're, you're Rolodexing this in your head, right? And uh, you're like, okay, I got to do all these things, this, this book and this research and this many conversations. This is going to take us five sessions for 30 minutes each to kind of get to remedy this, right? And this is what you're coming up with in your head. You're like, ah, we can't do this. So you, you take this fast track approach where it's like, I'm just going to give you this book and then we'll meet again in four weeks and good luck with that, you know? And then when they come back, they don't have it and you're expecting them to like have that, that thing. Um, and so I just wanted to make mention of that too. Just keep asking the question as a coach inside those intentions for it. Uh, what's the hurry, you know, what, what's, what's the speed in which you need to be able to do that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And two, two sort of philosophy related things that made me think of. So one is, um, you know, in, in talking about how you're, teaching the client to be more autonomous and you're, you're kind of getting rid of this doctor knows best model, which people have ingrained in their mind, you know, not, not that we're doctors or licensed practitioners, but this idea that like, you know, Robbie is the authority or James is the authority. Like we're, we're trying to help them, um, you know, be able to come to conclusions on their own, to be able to use their own reason, like Kant and others talk about, to use their own judgment to be able to evaluate um, things. So it's not just, you know, is this food kosher or is it not? You know, it's, yeah. well, what's, what are the reasons there? And we're not, we're not saying they need a PhD in nutritional science or exercise science, of no, course, but no. they're, they're, you know, most of the people coming to see you or coming to see us are generally, you know, they, they have a decent educational background and can certainly understand some of this stuff. So it's important to be able to, um, you know, uh, give them the opportunity to be able to reason through those things for themselves. Yes. And then yeah, the, the second thing, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. The, I was just going to say the permission to do that. And uh, I love the wording of it. Give them the permission to be able to do that. And also um, I, I indirectly have this idea inside of there of, of, of the point you're just asking them to go through themselves so that they can, they can see a little bit of self-responsibility. That's also why we're doing it. Right. So that they see, listen, I'm a little bit responsible here for like coming up with this reason and coming up with these things. So that's also why I wanted to say I have that inside of the of the, the questions and the dialogue. Yeah, definitely. And then the other thing I was thinking of is um, there are a number of philosophers, Kant, Wittgenstein, others who talk about the notion that as long as humans are humans, there's an inherent pull. Like as, as long as humans remain humans, there will always be a pull towards illusion. There will be a, always a pull towards um, self-deception. There will always be a pull towards wanting the, the quick, cheap, easy option. So, you know, keto is the, the thing du jour that we get asked about, but, you know, 50 years from now or 100 years from now, there'll be something else. And I think um, recognizing that as a coach, part of your job, just like, you know, Socrates 2000 years ago is to question what people are saying and be able to educate them. Like that's, that's, that's never going to go away unless human nature shifts. Like people are always going to want the quick, easy, uh, done for you 
option where they don't have to think that much. And I think it makes it that much more important that there are people out there asking you to critically think and question and say, should you be doing this or should you not be? So yes. that's one of the roles of a coach, I think. Yes. No, I, I totally agree. I don't have anything to add to that besides uh, um, that I, I, I just got stuck on the, what the future will be like, you know, of, uh, of uh, how things will be different over time with the intention. So um, we're hopeful that it'll be changed. <laughs> And I guess I should add an asterisk to what I just said, because you and I having this conversation right now in 2020, this literally, you know, the next 50 or 100 years could be one of the first times in human history where human intentions and humanity does change. I mean, there, there, yes. there could be advancements in science such that yes. the basic nature of uh, humanity, either via genetic editing or whatever, can change. Yeah. But um, so we'll see what transpires with that. But yeah. my point was meant to highlight the fact that like for all of human existence, the basic framework of what it is to be a human the instincts, desires are still for the most part, fairly stable. Yeah. Uh, could change in the future though. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the, uh, pan, pan skip, I think in Bliven, the architecture of the mind, um, that's a good book to go to see some of those general, you know, classifications of, of some of those things um of you know i guess we call it desires and emotions and the basic level of those and how they lead into us you know um in our existence and how they've been stable for a long period of time to your point um but uh, i would agree with you um i'm not sure we we don't necessarily i think we want to move on to intention modality uh person equals dose but i i do um do think that uh um the future aspect of it for intentions is a fascinating place to just contemplate. Um, it's a fascinating place to contemplate what that's going to look like and, and how we, how we bring all those things together of a different concept of living. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Humanity may change more in the next hundred years than in the past, like couple fascinating. Thousand. yeah. Fascinating. We'll see, but I agree with you. You're right. So we do want to talk about the dose response. Yeah. Equation. Um, so, Let's I'll open with it. Yeah, I'll just uh, I'll jam on it. Um, uh, I plus M plus P equals D. It's just a cool little uh, thing you can hashtag and kind of think about and ruminate on. Um, I think, it, it, well, it came about too before I just lead back to how does intention sit inside of that. Um, what I've been really curious on for a really long period of time, and I think it's probably embedded since I started my physical transformation out of that uh, a broken leg, uh, former athlete into like, wow, this strength thing and, and doing physical expression is pretty powerful. Um, and I think since, since that point in time, as I got into creating the competencies around how to research it, um, through a university, as well as getting into the real world and like practicing those things. Um, I was always fascinated by the individual variance inside of what people got out of an exercise session. So I always looked at the end result, we call it the dose, <laughs> of what just happened, you know? Um, and I saw that we were spending all of our time on program sales, marketing, you know, everything around the dose, right? Like, you know, uh, if you wanna be this, this is what you need to get. You need to get the dose, you know? Um, if you, you need to have all this protein because of that dose. And, and then, and then I went, you know, we went so long through those iterations and basically just over time, Robbie, I wanted to create in my own mind, a way of having a heuristic in mind 
before I make some judgment on what exactly just happened in that exercise session. Because I don't think if we, if we have that background information, you immediately make all these assumptions as to what should happen based upon what the person just went through in an exercise. Am I making sense of that? Yes. So if you back up and say, you know, you know what that, you know, you see someone lying on the floor, right? And we, we immediately go to like, this is exactly what happened, right? Glycolytic, suffering, super hot, you know, uh, not maximal heart rate, but maximal millimoles per liter of lactate in the blood. We can just make all these assumptions, right? And we made all of them based upon just what we see at the end. Again, the dose looks so entertaining. We wrap everything around it. So if you go back and say, well, with experience, which is what I've had in designing programs and also experiencing fitness to a really large degree, um, and then seeing all the iterations of it, and then reflecting that against what I'm capable of doing, then I started to see these things come out that would, that would create these buckets of where you could actually say, how do each of those buckets, when they're shifted a tiny bit, create a massive change in the dose? right? A massive change in the dose. So, so then you're like, oh, you know, you lifted a little bit more weight. So you had this massive change in the dose. It's like, that's like, that's one, that's one little part of the entire makeup there. And so if I go back, I would say things like, you know, you know, your thought process going in, your strategy, uh, what you're trying to get out of this, um, your whole reason for its experience, you know, I called that uh, intention. Like the whole reason why you're getting into that exercise session, that whole thing. The second thing we looked at is like, what, what was actually, uh, what, what actually were you doing inside of there? Were you doing a bike erg? Were you doing uh, weight training? Were you doing high load, low load? Um, were you doing it as a, uh, um, an odd object, a stable situation, an unstable situation? Um, what was the modality that was being used inside of it? Was your body weight? you know, et cetera. So, cause then you, you can start wrapping around with what are the general principles of like what we know through science and investigation of when you use all these different modalities, this is what you get. And that, and that just to give you some example on why that's slightly different. If you're not aware, uh, a dumbbell bench press on a Swiss ball is not the same as bench press on a bench. Okay. But see in our brain, in everyone else's brain is like, Oh, it's just pushing. It's like, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. So you can see all the iterations of you change the modality, how that changes the dose response, just to give an example of that. Um, and I, I use the other example for modality. It's like uh, rowing, right? Everyone's like, oh, rowing, that's cardio. It's like, well, rowing is actually really light deadlifts done over and over sustainably. So you see, it's like, oh, wait now, you know? So, <laughs> so it changes our whole thought process on the modality does make an impact in terms of what we're trying to get from that. And then lastly, the person dictates the dose response. Training age, previous training cycle, capability of expression, uh, gender, um, you know, uh, essence, um, experience of all those things, experience of the exercise in general, what, whatnot. So you add all those things up and they, of course they change up each time, but that's going to allow you to dictate what is the dose response. So based upon intention and where it fits in here, it has a monstrous part to play, which is why I always comes first in the I plus M plus P equals D, um, is that the strategy going in, the whole background of what we talked about on the last podcast and this one, all of that plays a monster role in determining what the dose response is, right? In determining what that is. 
and there isn't like five lanes where it's like, oh, this person is intrinsically motivated. This is what the dose response is. If this person is like, you know, having a ho-hum day and they're really not focused, this is what the dose response is. It doesn't go into lanes like that, but you just need to know that um, if, for example, someone is, is going into an exercise session, they're like, I deep down just really want to improve force. Like I, I really want to, you know? They now have the intentions going into every concentric action of a repetition. They really want to move that weight faster than with the weight that's coming down on top of them. Do you see that? And this could be the exact same parallel universe of someone coming in that you never even asked them what their intentions are coming in. And they do the exact same workout with the same weight, but it results in a different dose response. Why? Because the first person coming in wanted to improve the characteristic of force development. So their mindset, their intention coming into doing the work was completely different. The other person coming in who actually did the same looking work, as I said, this is important to see, right? The same work gets a different response, gets a different response. So you can see how if you just stick with like, well, it's just, you know, five sets of two, you must have got that. It's like, that's so lower order. That's so lower order in thinking that's what you got from the exercise session. You didn't improve on characteristics of rate of force, you know, development. Why? Because your intention going in wasn't to improve that. This makes people recognize, I'll finish on this, makes people recognize that imagine if people have going into an exercise session with a modality and they, had, they haven't done any exercise for like seven days, right? Their intentions going in are like, oh, this is definitely going to help me burn fat. Right. This this like that's that's exactly the the entire reason why I'm doing this. I can just visualize fat melting as I'm going through the exercise session. You see how what you propose then, let's just call it bench three by three and some Russian step ups, their brain is gonna be like, This is counteracting what I thought I was supposed to be getting with the fat burning, right? So you can see their intention is way off in regards to how they're gonna get a particular dose response. So when we use intention inside of intention plus modality plus person equals dose, that's the historical context where it comes from. And that's also why it's so important that we get people lined up with like the real reason around why they should be doing exercise overall and for that particular day for them specifically so that they can get the best dose response as needed. So you're saying not everyone gets the same dose response from Fran? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is funny, but um, like, and you would think that it's like, oh, you must have like figured this out as soon as you started exercising. We, we really didn't even like think hard about that until Miko Salo uh, would do some stuff in, uh, in CrossFit. And, uh, and he was like, uh, like that. And he would say it in, a, you know, in, in his, uh, in his uh, uh, dialect and language, the way he would say it. So such, such stoicism wrapped inside of it. Um, and we were like, what? Like how he doesn't, he's not feeling what we're feeling, you know? And then of course you get a lot more experiences with it, with a number of other people, right? The odd example, the Fran one you use is so good. Um, you know, these athletes that would just have good mobility, come in off the street and be like, what's this CrossFit thing? And you're like, ha ha ha, let's, let's do this. Right. And we teach them how to do strict slash kipping pull-ups. And then they go through Fran and they're under three minutes and we're like, and we're like, they're not 
flopping on the ground. Like they didn't, it was just like, you know, you asked them to perform a task. So you can see that their intention going in was like, oh, I just need to do this task, like up and down like this. Okay, do I go over here? Yeah, do 21 of them. Okay, so like this, you know? And you could see their intention was like, I just need to figure out the solution to what James is asking here, right? I just got to figure out this problem. You know, their biggest issue the whole time was like remembering what 15 and 15 was and then nine and nine was like what the, what the rep scheme was. And for the rest of us was like, how loud can I play rage against the machine and hang on for dear life so I can put out as much power as possible, you know? Um, so you could see it's uh, man, yeah. intentions have so much, so much going inside, which I think, you know, just keep on top of that. I think, well, I won't, I won't say we never will, but man, we got a lot of work to do to uh, do some study inside of the intentions embedded inside of the physiological research. Um, because of course that's very tough to, to, um, to create some principles on, right? And what right. was the mindset going in and how did that change up outcomes? Um, right. That's gonna be very tough to do. So I have two, two thoughts, or at least two thoughts there in terms of you know, how it relates to philosophy. So number one, going back to a point that we've made earlier about science in relation to fitness, you know, people get all wrapped up in you know, these trials and the, what do the studies show and performance and all this other stuff. The point that you are making about dose response and how important intention is in relation to dose response isn't something you are just going to see from the results of a scientific study or even multiple scientific studies. It is something that requires philosophical reflection upon those studies or upon what you see as a coach. So that would be point number one. Point number two, going back to something we said last time about um, Kant's thoughts about morality, he makes a very similar point to the one you're making, but with relation to morality, which I think you know, shows how important this point you're making is in fitness. It's basically, look, take two seemingly uh, similar examples uh, of a seemingly moral action, right? So returning a wallet to a police station or giving to charity. Um, those seem like those are both good actions. Those seems like those are moral things. You're trying to do the right thing based on the action that's being done. But what Kant comes along and says, no, 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 no. Actually, uh, in one case, because there was proper intention, that action is truly moral. And in the other case, because it was done solely for the purpose of, you know, $100 reward or whatever it is, uh, it was done solely for extrinsic reasons. So it doesn't mean that it was bad or something like that, but it just means that it wasn't moral. And there's kind of a similar thing going on here where you're saying, look, the same action is being performed, the same thing, whether it's a squat or Fran or what have you, is being done. You think, oh, that's going to yield the same results or the same dose response. But no, 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 someone's intention in there makes all the difference to their dose response. So just kind of some interesting philosophy connections there. Yeah, no, thank you for that. It colors it perfectly um, in each of our lanes, uh, which I really like. Um, and I just thought about, um, you know, how we can also observe this and it's around us all the time. I just don't think that we're having the conversation on it enough maybe, um, or maybe Robbie, it's not out there, you know, for people to actually, say like what yeah but i think we see it all the time i was just thinking about how we can watch you know how we can watch an athlete perform i don't know why i thought about it but like rafael nadal and roger federer the classic back and forth that they've had um if you if you want to check this out and there, i mean there's actually even youtube links of all their best you know back and forths let's say but you can when you watch them and you watch them consistently over time 
you can actually read uh, where the athlete's mindset and intentions are off by the way they carry themselves, their little things that they do between sets, um, you know, just how their whole demeanor. And I know that's like, that looks, it's very subjective in measurement for it, but I think we just need to, to look maybe just open up our eyes a little bit more. This whole, this whole aspect of, you know, the deepest intentions are really visible, are really visible and are, they're, they're there. And maybe just by us discussing it or you talking it and, and uh, um, placing it in, 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 uh, in that way is going to help people. So I just wanted to you know, make mention that I see it all the time, but I just don't think maybe we're, we put it into an intention plus modality plus person equals dose. We're not putting it into that framework and maybe that will be helpful for people to recognize the individual variance and the importance of the intentions. Yeah, and I think that gets to a point where I think we talked about this when we um, when we initially talked about intention, kind of the epistemology of intention, right? Yeah, um, you can't you can't see an intention uh, in in its in its in its purest form. You can't see a desire in your its purest form. So what we're left with, like you were mentioning, is we have to come up with these correlates, which can still be useful. And I think we can make a scientific study of that. And you know, who knows? Maybe in a hundred years, we we can see intentions somehow in the brain. But for right now. Neuralink. Um, yeah. <laughs> Neuralink, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, that was, that was something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we have to come up with these correlates. And this was a famous problem for Kant's moral philosophy as opposed to utilitarianism, right? With utilitarianism, you can see the action, right? You can see the person gave to charity. They didn't give to charity. Done. Epistemologically, I can see it. But you can't ever see someone's intention in it again in its purest form now we can see correlates and other things like that yeah um but but you bring up a good point that there could be a scientific study of these um correlates now a, a quick question I, I did have here with regard to the dose response equation that I, I was just curious about um i take it that when the when you originally came up with this a lot of this centered around the client's intention but i'm kind of wondering um where does the you know obviously there's the interplay if they have a coach the coach's intention. So can you say a, a word or two about how the I in that equation is balanced between the coach's intention and programming and the client's intention and actually doing the workout and how that all works? Yeah, I think there's a, no, it's, that's a good question. Um, I think that that has to be like uh, really worked on uh, to get to the point where there's, there's great alignment of intention on the client's behalf that's self-evident for them as well as this openness to this education that's a long-term project that um, both you and the client are aware that if the intention is not perfectly aligned, we just have to be okay that the dose may not be perfect. So that's where the coach has to come in. In the end, you still need to recognize that it's without the coach, right? It's without the coach that creates that dose response. But if the coach comes in, I think it's trying to figure out where they sit on this, this uh, self-reflection on what are my real deepest intentions for not just this session, but the whole collective thing. And once they get to this realization, ah, you know, my mindset and my behaviors, my thoughts around this going in does make a difference in what I get out of it. Um, then I think there's just a, you got to find a timeline, an open space to kind of 
to kind of change that. That's what I would say where the coach impedes there. Okay. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't help but manage to, I wrote down there, you said we got some research to do to kind of figure that out. It's not just Neuralink, but uh, you could, uh, in Black Mirror, um, the Netflix uh, show, um, I think it was Netflix, but uh, there's a number of different episodes in there that at least open up our brain, just like great sci-fi novels do, um, to how we can actually measure that. Like, if we, if we were capable of, you know, measuring subconscious thoughts that become available, right? And I don't think there's a Black Mirror episode, but I'm sure there's some pieces of it inside of there of the technology that was used. But just imagine that, you know, uh, all of these things were readable, which based upon how you're perceiving the changes in neuroscience and uh, what's happening in there, they will be readable over time, right? Imagine if that came up on a hologram, that every time you were proposed to stand in front of someone, your deepest intention subconsciously came up. <laughs> right imagine this like your implicit biases of everything came up right and <laughs> i'm sorry if i'm the humorous but like your entire historical reference to anything you know just gets laid out front and center when you come to someone but i mean this is this is the uh <laughs> This is the fascinating thing around seeing how challenging it would be to get to that. And I like the way you said it, right? We got to be okay with the fact that there's these deepest levels of intentions that we have inside of us that we will never unfold, that no one will ever get a taste of or, or even a, a sense of what those deepest intentions are, right? And sometimes over time, you know, people are vulnerable enough where they squeak a little bit of that light out and we get to see a little glimpse of it. And it's so inspiring, right? Because we, we strive then towards being, you know, uh, having those attributes of someone who's so vulnerable and, and just lets it, lets it loose. And we see all oh, this burden is taken down and we're like, oh, I'd like to be like that. Um, but I'm just making mention, it's going to be, it's going to be a real long, hard time before we get to that black mirror perspective where this shit just comes up on a hologram as we enter in a conversation, right? Wouldn't that make coaching so much easier? (laughs) Someone's like, why are you here? Oh, I just want to be healthy. And I just looks up on the screen is like, this guy's an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe anything he says. Right. He's like my asshole of a brother. (laughs) All this real, the real shit that comes up that they they can't even language, but that's a implicit biases. Brandon and I literally like a half an hour before this call, we were talking about that as like a thing we could do for marketing. We're like, we film someone sitting down with me and it's like, you know, they're talking about their cravings and it's like the thought bubble, like I eat cause I hate my job. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the true, like, it's, it's like that Westworld shirt that I sent you where it's like yes. amused or excited. Just uh, way so more good. of it. So good. I'm glad we're coming back to that. Oh man. Such good times. Um, we got to laugh at it, but it's uh it's some, definitely something that I think, I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to tie this into nutrition and FDN for us um, right now. Um, But I think it's important because we do need to, we do need to not stop at weight loss studies and uh, what doesn't kill people studies. We, I think we need to go more than that. Um, I think we need to go deeper. Um, I think we need to improve in our research. I think we need to um, improve on the variables we're measuring. I think we need to honor individual variances. And I do think we work backwards further and even maybe hijack this 
not mine, but a concept like this of intention, um, foodstuffs, and person dictate the outcome of whatever you're going to get from how that fuel is, uh, you know, effectively being dosed, let's say. Okay. So, uh, and let's just back up on that and say, you know, if we're just looking at weight loss studies or just anti-disease studies, so let's call it performance or rehab model based upon what is best and what works, right? If your entire beacon is just that, imagine if you backed up and said, but don't you think that the person's intentions going in matter in regards to what they want as an outcome of that? Imagine if that's the way you thought about it, right? Then we wouldn't just get stuck on foodstuffs, right? Um, and then third, the third pillar, which is still, I would argue, not re really well-researched. And one, one area that's really not well-researched that I make mention of in CCP all the time is the lack of uh, young females or even a female cohort of a large number in those particular studies, right? So this is not as much inside of nutritional science as it is inside of physiolog physiological science, but a lot, of the a lot of the base support of physiological science um, is largely from a 20 to 23 year old uh, young white male in university. And we, we generalize everything based upon what's seen with that cohort. So let's back up and say, is it possible that we're not investigating the person in this nutritional model of what is the outcomes we want Maybe we should back up and say, well, what's the intention? What are people's intentions? Imagine if out of all those 50 people that you studied, 49 of them are based upon this embedded genetic code that says food is poison and it will make you fat. And that's what's been embedded in everything that they have ever done with all their actions, right? And now you think you're going to seemingly just put them into a study, you know, in a metabolic ward for 12 weeks and be like, Boom, <laughs> you know, it's macros. This is the answer. You know, it's like, okay, you know, we can certainly take some things from that, but shouldn't we go back and say, is it possible if we went from 50 to like 16,000 people and then we had a different study with different intentions, is it possible that we'd have different outcomes? And that's what you need to like stretch our brains on a little bit and not stop at just that answer. So I, I in, injected in a, a parallel concept of using I plus M plus P equals D from physiology and exercise and physical culture and moved it over to a possible nutrition intention intervention, right? Of intention, food stuff plus person equals dose. We probably need to find another, another piece of language instead of dose for that, but uh, maybe the outcome or something that we're going to get from that. Um, and what's your thoughts on that? I'm pulling that over in terms of understanding intentions inside of nutrition prescriptions. I think two things. One, I think uh, it's macros. That's that's what it is. That's going to be. I'm going to take that clip out. And I'm going to make that just a, a rotating loop. Not fitness and philosophy. With my hands like this. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but no. I thought those were excellent points. I think um, again, going back to what we've been saying, you know, sometimes people, you know, there there are these people out there in the fitness and nutrition world that I'm sure you've seen, like hardcore the, the studies what do the studies say what do the studies say and again it's you know we're not we're not in any mean by any means anti-science i mean science can be very useful and um helpful in guiding things but this is where philosophy comes in if all your scientific results are based on this cohort of people like you were just saying of this particular age of this particular socioeconomic background um that is going to influence the results that you have access to and um just like you were saying in terms of 
um, intention and, and, and thoughts behind things. You know, what if, um, you know, they talk about this a ton in psychology where, you know, if it, let's say in the case of women, just, you know, generation after generation, well, food is going to make you fat and, you know, you're not going to be as successful as a person. And that stuff leads to epigenetic changes. Those beliefs lead to epigenetic changes, irrespective of the macros, irrespective of, you know, Whole30 and Paleo and all the rest of that um, stuff. And I think we ignore it at our own peril, but I think the reason why it's ignored in science is because of two reasons. One, it's hard to measure. And there may be more reasons, but one, it's hard to measure. And then two, kind of like a point you were mentioning um, when we were discussing science and fitness, one of the projects of science is to generalize out individual differences. You study all these people so that you can then say, well, for the majority of them or this certain you know, uh, subset that happened to be large, this happened, but then you ignore you know, the individual differences. So again, science can be very useful and helpful, but it, it, we need to keep our critical thinking caps on and our philosophy lens on to be able to reflect on these things and say, you know, what were they missing in doing this macro study on, on women or this keto study on, on women or anyone for that matter? What, what intentions did, uh, you know, that group of people have? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about uh, this, just what's, you know, brainstorming and from what you just said there, um, defining what affect versus effects are um, and understanding the differences in those. Um, and also the, uh, when you say individual variants, I mean, it just, I just very quickly paused. It was like an inception moment where this, this stops and I'm like seven levels down, just like slowly thinking about the individual variants. I don't know if I described it in a way that would like slow time, but you may want to pause on that point. Um, and I would ask people now to pause right now and think about that. Um, and here we go. Ready? Uh, individual variants, pause. <laughs> and it's, so it's like a 14 year old female, uh, 65 year old uh, male, um, uh, a washed up CrossFitter at 29. Uh, like I could go so long and so far, right? A guy who's on the, on a home, on the top of a home over there, right? This is Leanne. I talked about our walk the other night, you know, all these guys are working, sweating in the sun, 13 hours a day, moving shit, climbing, carrying stuff and going like guns a blazing for the entire time with this little 15 minute break where they get in the shade and they eat some sandwiches. Right. And then we were like, what do they do at 8 PM when they get off? And I was like, probably get a whole bunch of calories in, you know, cause you just look at their form and shape. It's like, they just need to get calories in so they can sleep and repeat this for six days of the week. My whole point being is that just take a second to pause, right. And to look what's right in front of us, right. Walk around a hotel and just ask these questions in your head, walk around an airport and ask these questions in your head, right. Look at different vocations as to what's required for fueling. And it'll just get you to the point where it'll become exhausting, but you don't stop there. You don't stop by saying, oh, well, geez, we should just create these generalized principles that works for everyone. <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to back up and, and do what I guess we, we would call integrative principles, right? You're integrating the individual variants, the food stuff, the let's call it information, right? Individual variants, information, and the intention right? The intention. And that's what needs to, so 
Oh, we just came up with a number. We just came up with it, Robbie. You ready? Here we go. This is it. This is the new one. Intention. And this is alliteration, so it's going to be even more powerful. <laughs> Intention. Uh, individual. And information. Equals food plan. I need to find an eye for that. But that would be, that would be a perfect uh, outcome based upon it. So uh, my point being just on that, in case you just got lost in my uh, stupidity of trying to be humorous, um, the individual variance, we need to pause on that one, uh, like a serious pause, um, and uh, ask questions like, you know, my 11-year-old, right? Like, um, as a backroom talk in your head, calculate, um, you know, growth, peak height, weight, velocity changes, um, uh, menstruation in years to come, uh, total calories in a day. Uh, mood changes, but like, and take that example, right? And then scream it out for like 150 other people that are different than her, right? And then just, just open your mind to that variation, you know, just open your mind to it. Anyways, thanks for, you know, thanks for just listening into that for uh, me uh, uh, struggling with trying to come up with that, um, the triple I um, to be helpful for people. No, thank you. That was super helpful. Um... No, and I think that the point is very well taken. It's based, I mean, imagine, you know, we essentially got our way and there were these, you know, tremendous studies of all different types of groups of people and ages, you know, uh, 514 year old girls and 515 year old girls and, you know, different, we did the same thing for different socioeconomic backgrounds, even with all that data, like let's do the thought experiment and run that and let's say, let's, even we have all that data, which would still, you know, yield tremendous results it's still just a starting point. You still with the individual need to be able to mesh that. Like I'm, you know, I, I've certainly found this in the, the time I've been nutrition coaching and I, I suspect you've run into a similar thing where it's like, what I find that the book knowledge and the science and all the rest of the stuff that's super interesting to read and learn about, about what role it plays is it helps you um, with good starting points, with good frameworks or ranges for like, Hey, Roughly how many calories you should have. Roughly this should be your circadian rhythm. Roughly you should be eating real whole food. All these different starting points. And then, but then we really have to change it based on, you know, I just had someone uh, start working with me the other day who's been, uh, you know, a cop for the past 20 years and, you know, wakes up uh, at 1 p.m. every day. And you, you know what I mean? Like it, you, you could do a study of cops, but it would be different from him to someone else. So it just, it, it, it totally depends on the individual. So science can be really good for starting generalizations that give you a place where you're not just pulling something out of your ass and saying, oh, I think you should do this randomly. But beyond that, you need to mesh that with the individual in front of you. Yeah, and it's, I, I, would, I would add to it that there's also um, other reasons as to why you need to do more than just that for science, because we have now known the, the downfalls of sticking to that as being truth, right? We've seen so many examples of it where, to your point, Robbie, it knocks off all the list, right? Huge numbers of people inside, a cohort that's, you know, very controlled, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, this is what comes out in the Time magazine. Red meat will kill you. That's what we get from that. So you work backwards, right? And it takes a, it takes a lot of work for people to work backwards in that to recognize all these individual differences, to recognize this embedded changes of in, like, you know, and we, you know, and we, this is the easiest thing that we pulled out of it is like, they included pizza and whatever was on it as red meat as the source of red meat. It's like, 
are you kidding me? Like there was, you know, you actually agreed that that was in the sourcing of that, you know, so you can see it's like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how deep we can get into making those observations or thinking that's the truth. So this is my point being is that what you just said is very important to consider because we've also seen the downside of believing only in that. So open your mind to the possibility of the individual variances and then maybe you can start using that. Um, and don't, and what I should say to continue on that, Robbie, is that uh, don't stop there. You know, like, don't let that threaten you or thwart you. Or like, if you, if you, if you sniff this a little bit and you're like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work to individualize. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. Like, we need you. We need you out there being someone who wants to honor that individual perspective, right? We need those folks out there that are willing to like, be patient with that for people, get them to learn over time. Cause then we're, we're then like, you know, uh, I almost said breeding, we're not breeding people, but we're, we are breeding these minds, right? Where people leave our area and they're now telling other people about this power of where you sit right now is really important on what you should be doing. You know what I'm saying? This power of individuality and I guess classification of individualism, we're, we're, we're finding that seemingly really important and uh so that's why i think um it's also a it's also another word that starts with i so it works really well with intention <laughs> yeah. if if triple i yeah Dude. nice well we can't do that because people will initially think it's uh fasting so uh, right oh yeah i often yeah yeah we'll call it individualized food plan individualized food no plan. but individuals inside of the definition already anyways i'll figure something out i'll come up with it um but i uh, it was a uh, i appreciate that so do you want to talk about uh we talked i think we talked a little bit about in intentions and nutrition you want to talk a little bit about uh fdn land well i mean i guess not exclusively fdn but like fun functional health in general and just kind of that that movement that we're both enmeshed in and maybe some thoughts around uh intentions in there i mean i i have I have some thoughts, but yeah, I was curious to hear what you think. Yeah, well, uh, um, I'll just say briefly on it. I think it's probably somewhat similar to what we we're just mentioning inside of uh, um, the intentions around what we're trying to go after. Um, but uh, I'll, uh, I, I'd appreciate you uh, you you starting, and then uh, I may okay. add to it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, if we're talking from, like, from the client side, where we run into the same things of like red meat will kill you, or I want to be not set, not sick, not dead, not symptoms or no symptoms, like, you know, we're trying to teach people about optimum health and longevity and resiliency. I would agree with you that a lot of the things parallel there in terms of nutrition. Um, one thing I was thinking about was kind of the functional health collective um, and intentions that have kind of come about there. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying for anyone who happens to be listening to this to who happens to be in this world, um, still very much a fan of functional health and, um, you know, all that it's able to do. But as someone who, you know, due to my own kind of uh, autoimmune health stuff, did all the tests, all the supplements, remove every toxin from the body, all these different um, things that are out there now, I think there are some ways in which um, intention and in the functional health con collective can, can go awry and, and have. And I, I, do the scene, I do see this being corrected now, just by the way. Yeah. But I, I think, um, you know, for a long while there, there was this idea that, well, you know, let's do every heavy metal test. Let's do every line test. Let's do every mold test. Let's do, you know, every, um, you know, hormonal and GI thing that we can possibly do. And then let's take all the supplements 
for those things. And then let's remove every toxin from the body and let's, um, you know, get you micronutrient sufficient in every single metric uh, you can possibly be. Um, and that, that's one area where I started to see the intentions within that movement, um, you know, as they happen in every movement where, mm -hmm. you know, things become too calcified and, and not broken apart. Um, I, I, I saw those things start to be a bit um, problematic. And, and one of the, some of the newer intentions that I'm starting to see that I like and I'm a, fans of, I'm a fan of are things like the idea behind neuroplasticity or building resilience. Um, or there's more to life than health or respecting the notion of hormesis, the fact that, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't be, you know, uh, setting up shop maybe right next to a golf course. So we're like sucking in those pesticides all the time. But at the same time, like humans have this tremendous ability to um, thrive in response to certain stresses. Also on the flip side, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts here. I've, I've wondered something similar, but haven't seen much research on the micronutrient side, I kind of wonder, you know, the same way with fasting, if we get a hormetic response from, you know, going without food for a bit, like, are we supposed to be topped off in all our micronutrients at all times mm -hmm. of the day, you know, 24, seven, 365, again, not yeah. advocating for micronutrient deficiencies, yeah. but yeah. this obsession with like no toxins and like the top rung. Um, so yeah, just some initial thoughts there. Yeah. Gosh. Well, your last point, I think, we may want to jam on that one another time for all the possible, you know, you know, I guess it would be theories involved with how humans operate uh, because we really don't know that really well. Like we don't know live time, you know, what's happening with all of those things. Right. And that's, it, it comes down to a, what I think one of the biggest challenges in, you know, answering your question is that we just don't have the possible measurement you know, all we have is, is measurements on the back end of like an intervention. It's like, oh, this is what happened. This is where we resulted, you know, but, but we don't ask big questions like, you know, what happens if you take ginseng uh, for seven years in a row? You know, it's like, well, I'm on a reorder program <laughs> every month or my Sigma coffee has a specific kind of mushroom in it. You know, it's like, okay, that's cool. But you know, are there any studies to talk about what it's like for 10 and people stop at that, right? They're like, Oh, that's dumb. Like, why would you do a study for 10 years? Like, well, maybe you're good for nine years, but the 10th year of you taking it, your system is like, Nope, not going to work, you know, because we're right. like, to your point, we're complex adaptives, right? We're organisms that figure out a way to make things work like electricity from a local golf thing at a golf course, but there's electricity next to the golf course in Arizona where I'm at. But, you know, so we're like, Oh, are you really going to take long-term studies of decreased levels of cancer and be like, Oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's not gonna be an issue. Um, but for that particular person, maybe eight years is too much, you know, maybe it's not. Right. So uh, that that's the issue around us is being un, unable of wrapping ourselves around the fact that we're complex adaptives and to put people into cohorts to study them, to come back and say, oh, this is definitely what we need to be cautious of or do, even in your question of micronutrient changes and what that, uh, how that changes things. Uh, maybe for another time, I'll just say that. Um, but I'm not leaving the point of what I just heard you say initially, especially in functional health um, and uh, what the goal is. I would agree with you on all those points. I'm just going to say it again. I think there was an overcorrection that happened like against pharma and medicine. Um, and I think there was a movement to like break it apart and just open up this idea of what functional medicine was or medicine that has a new non-allopathic, you know, way of doing it.
What I do see in the interim, um, based upon the lack of the system that's set up, as well as all medicine in multiple different ways, boohooing with a, their authority ivory tower that they sit on, making sure that a lot of things can't take place in medicine, or sorry, in functional medicine, it's allowed this stifling um, where the system can't really work for the client on the end. So what ends up happening is that it, the, the functional medicine system turns into a treadmill, again, just like medicine. So it's like, come in, here's your books, here's your supplements, get out, good luck with that. Oh, don't forget the reorder program, you know, so we can keep you on a retainer for that over a 12 month period. To back up, Robbie, I think what is parallel inside of there is to use this language around, again, to our point of intentions today, the whole model is set up, I believe, with incorrect intentions on the behaviors of the person coming in to the concept of the therapeutic model. So if it's a therapeutic model, it is therapy. It's a fix. So the entire model is not based upon what we had talked about previously, questioning self-responsibility and individualism inside of a healing, inside of a fixing, in, you see what I'm saying, et cetera, right? So what is, what is most person going to show up with for those settings? Pain, depression, fatigue, you know, apathy, all these other things. And are you really going to tell them? It's up to you to kind of turn this around. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there has to be this true healers are the ones that are going to bring those individuals in and give them a little insight into like, you do know you got a part to play in turning this around, right? And then doing this accuracy test on how they perceive what you just said, right? Because if you give them that little like, do you feel you have some part to play in turning this around? And immediately they're like vehemently, God, no, I'm in so much pain. I just need to get this. I need to get this taken care of, et cetera. Then that's at least your assessment to go, okay, this is going to take a while, right? This is going to take a while. So the interventions could be reading, supplements, whatever, but long-term it has to get to that beacon of whatever. So to back up, the intentions, which is per, per, uh, pertaining to our conversation today, the intentions are still wrapped in functional health of a therapeutic model, and it's just in a new building. That's it. There's, it's just in a whole new building. And we need inside of that, to your point, which I do see it correcting itself, we need to have different behaviors inside of the pathway, the client life cycle, the business initiatives, the long-term plan for people inside of that. Um, and eventually, I think ironically, it'll turn into it being, you know, fitness coaches who are neo-generalists in the future that offer that entire thing, right? Because they'll have all these competencies that they can take someone in multiple different levels and give them this perspective of, you know, self-responsibilities inside of this to move forward. Um, and immediately right from the get-go, the client is like, okay, I can get my head wrapped around this. They are going to be helpful in this and it's collaborative, but I do have a part to play in my, you know, questioning of my intentions. Like, why am I really doing this? And I do have to change this mindset that says, oh, I need to be taken care of because I'm in pain. It's like, no, 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 you, you, you will be taken care of and we will certainly help you, but you have some part to play in this, right? You do have some part to play in this. So your intentions have to be aligned correctly so that we can, we can move forward. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience too, where, you know, you, you, you do the hand, right? It's the five things that you, you recognize that supplements are just one supplements are just the pinky and, you know, diet, rest, exercise, and, you know, stress reduction are the other part of the dress. And uh, you're sitting there telling this to the person, you full well believe it. But they're like, ah, oh, but, 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 but the supplements, 
yeah. the supplements kind of that that's kind of you know going yeah. back to your point about that's it's a uh, way they may see it at least initially is they see it as this is what's going to fix my pain this is what's going to fix my migraines this is what's going to fix my other things i just i take these supplements and my responsibility ends at paying for the tests and paying for the supplements even though you're saying like no no 80 percent of it is this other stuff and the supplements are just going to maybe help for a little bit um so just kind of correcting those intentions and i guess <clears throat> going back to what we were discussing earlier and i guess this would also tie into you know collective intentions and other things we've been talking about um i think we are the inheritors of this doctor knows best model and again not that we are licensed practitioners but there, there's very much this notion of I go to a doctor, the doctor diagnoses me with this thing, he then gives me the thing to fix the thing, as opposed to um, a coach who is someone who empowers someone else. They are, they are a guide on your journey. They are a source of knowledge, but they are not infallible. Yeah. They are not the way, the light, and the truth. They are prone to mistakes, just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's a collaborative enterprise where there's constant feedback about, Hey, this supplement wasn't making me feel this good. Or, Hey, I, I want to start to do the stuff you're saying nutrition wise, but my wife is unsupportive or my coworkers are unsupportive. What, what do I do there? So it's this constant back and forth that you really don't get in the doctor knows best model where it's like, Hey, I'll see you in six months. Yeah. Or in even the newer functional medicine models where it's like, yeah. Hey, here's your initial assessment. I'll see you in three to six months. Yes. You know, that, that habit change that you get on the ground um, and that, you know, more personal contact that you get on the ground with a coach, uh, I think can be pretty instrumental in helping to shift those intentions and help people recognize that, yes, we are here to help you, but we are help you, we're here to help you learn how to fish. Yes. Not how to fish for you for the rest of your life. Yep. 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 Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for spending a couple more minutes on that one. Cause I, I didn't know uh, what we would have to add to just the concept of it, but I think it, it paralleled really nicely with uh, the topics that we were t discussing on uh, physiology, physical culture and intention, uh, nutrition and intention, uh, the contrast initial, you know, desire versus intention, um, and also where the coach fits into that. So it was nice, uh, nice summarizing uh, of the, the base thing of intention. I think we, I think we knocked it out of the park. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I, I think I think we touched on a lot of different areas and I, I really enjoyed that one. And I just for anyone who was listening at the beginning or heard uh, us last time, um, I did not forget at all about shifting intentions of the fitness collective. I have an idea for us maybe doing an episode on something like that. So we will, we will probably we're not going to let that go by the wayside. We'll come back to that. Um, but yeah, I think we definitely hit a lot of good stuff on intention today. Super. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, James. I'll see you next time.